crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Naktagal. Thank you very much for listening in today. I'm coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel, as per usual. Our website, watchjerusalem.co.il, just completed its best week ever in terms of traffic and returning visitors. So if you haven't checked that out yet, I do admonish you to go to the site. Uh, We have a lot of articles related to biblical history, archaeology, and also current events and the biblical import of those events. And so uh, you can also follow us on Facebook as well. And and if you are accessing that uh, often, we do post most of our articles or links to most of our articles there. And so you'll be updated as well as to when we have something new up. We also put out a weekly newsletter. Uh, this is a newsletter that goes over to over to over a thousand people now uh, around the globe. Many of those from Israel as well. And there we will update you also on what happened on the website in the past week. Today on the program, I want to take some time to talk about a very critical biblical truth. It's a truth and a promise in the Bible that. Um, a lot of the other biblical promises surround. It's a really, it's a cornerstone prophecy and a cornerstone promise from God that if you look at religions today, uh, be it Judaism or Christianity, both of them don't see the import of it. They don't realize why it's so important. Furthermore, they don't accept what the Bible says as being accurate. They don't. This article that's up right now, it's entitled, God Promised David an Everlasting Throne, What Happened to It? And we posted this back on January 23rd, so just about two weeks ago now. And we put it on on Facebook, and um, we have received a lot of comments on it. Um, what's interesting about some of these comments, I mean, we, we have both Jews and Christians that are, that are commenting on, on the article itself, or at least they're commenting on the title of it and what they believe happened to it. Most of them don't really consider what the article said, which is, is kind of normal for, for comments on Facebook. People just uh, look at a headline a lot of the time and, and write whatever's on their mind, and some of it good, some of it bad, and most of it not normally that important. However, I do want to go through some of these comments as it relates to this article. Uh, there is, uh, I'm not going to give the, the names necessarily, um, but the first comment does say that this throne is for Jesus. He totally fulfills all the messianic prophecy. And then um, uh, somebody, Ben Yehuda, responds, uh, your hero did not fulfill one prophecy. And then another one comes in. He fulfilled all of them. The problem is with you reading these books about opinions and interpretations instead of reading actually the Tanakh and reading what the prophet said. Go and start with this prophetic book. Somebody comes in and says, Amen to that. Yeshua uh, HaMashiach is king. And he keeps the throne going till his a thousand year messianic kingdom. Then another one, the mistaken belief that the Messiah hasn't arrived yet will unfortunately prime people to believe in the Antichrist. And so they're all coming up with these ideas about what this Davidic covenant was, this, this, this promise that God made to David of an everlasting throne. 
and um, we have some, and basically it, it turns into some, like a bit of a Jewish um, versus a Christian or some type of Christian um, belief about what the promise was. And the Christians, it seemed, believed that it was fulfilled in Jesus and that 2,000 years ago he fulfilled it when he came. Um, and then he will fulfill it in his second coming. That's their idea. And then many of the Jews believe that this is a prophecy or the prophecy of the Davidic line will be fulfilled by the Messiah. But in the meantime, there doesn't need to be somebody actually sitting on a throne. As long as there is a man that's alive that was in the line of David that could sit on the throne if there was a throne in existence. But what does the Bible say? I'm reminded by um, something that uh, theologian Herbert W. Armstrong uh, wrote some time ago. He was talking about all these different ideas that different men have of what the Bible says. And at the end of it, he says, yes, that's what men say, but what does God say? Today, we're going to look at this article, God Promised David an Everlasting Throne, what happened to it, and actually look at what the Bible says about that throne. What does God actually say about the throne? Not an interpretation of what God said, but what does God actually say? There are numerous prophecies, there are numerous pieces of history in the Bible that talk about a throne that has to be in existence today. There has to be a man sitting on a throne today or else God is a liar. That is what your Bible says. And since men that claim to believe in the Bible, they look around and they don't see, according to them, a man sitting on a throne, then they believe that this promise was broken by God, or at least this promise must mean something else. This promise, it, it can't mean, it can't mean that when God says that David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of David, that can't mean he actually means a man sitting on a throne. No, it must mean something else because we can't find it today. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, going at these people for their, um, for their trying to to account for um, a discrepancy as they see it in what it looks like the Bible says and what they can observe today, because it's it's not easy to discern. It's not easy to discern where that throne is in in face on face value. It is quite it's quite difficult. But that doesn't mean that, that we have to try and make out God to be a liar. That means that we have to go and search. We have to find it. Now, there has been uh, honest people that have read through the Bible and have seen this promise that God made and then looked around the earth today and tried to um, see if this throne was in existence and couldn't find it. And then they have deduced that, well, the Bible can't be true <laughs> because it's pretty obvious that this is a direct promise from God and I can't see it anywhere. I can't see this throne anywhere on the planet. And so the Bible must be incorrect. It might be true in some of its history, but here's God promising something, and that promise did not come true. So let's first look at this promise. Now, the basis for this promise, or the first time it's recorded, is found here in 2 Samuel 7, and it's referring to uh, what God told Nathan the prophet to tell David. David was really excited to build God a temple, and God said in response to that, no, you can't build me a temple, your son will do that, but I'm going to make you a fantastic house. I'm going to make of you, David, a royal line, a royal line that's going to continue forever. 
And this is what it, I'm just going to break into it here. This is um, verse 12. It says, When your days will be fulfilled, that is David's, you shall sleep with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you, which shall pour, proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So this is King Solomon. And he shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's, that seems like a long time. That seems like an, iron, uh, an ironclad promise. But notice God adds to it here to really confirm that he means what he says. Verse 14, And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he shall commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before me. So he's saying here, before David, we have King, King Saul was king. King Saul was unrighteous. And so he was punished. How was he punished? The kingly line was taken away from Saul because of his sins. And then we get to King David and God announcing here that he is going to set David up as the king. And his line that comes from him will continue. And if his son Solomon is just like Saul, is just rebel, is rebellious as Saul was, I will have mercy upon him for David's sake. I'm not going to take away the kingly line. I'm going to punish him with the stripes of men, with the rod of men and the stripes of the children of men. He will be a recipient of the curses that come, but I will not, I will not remove the throne from David's line, regardless of the character of the men. That is going to continue in David's line. A sinning king is not going to mean the end of this royal line sitting on a throne. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So that is the basis of this prophecy. But it was reaffirmed time and time and time again in Scripture. So he really knew that God meant what he said. Although most people today don't believe that God meant what he said. So he said it here in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. Let's go over now to another, um, indi- another scripture that talks about this promise. It is a promise. It's an ironclad promise that you can stake your belief in the Bible and your belief that the Bible is God's word on. Psalm 132 talks about this. This is just a really wonderful psalm. It talks about David's desire to build God a temple again. It talks about David's desire to go and grab the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into Jerusalem, establish Jerusalem as the capital of um, the the nation of Israel. And we're going to break into it here in verse uh, 7. It says this. This is Psalm 132. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. This is talking about Israel that's going to worship before God and before the ark that would be placed into the temple. And it's it's believed that this psalm was written perhaps by Solomon just because this next these next three verses here relate to what uh, Solomon said at the, um, the prayer of dedication of the temple. This is what Solomon said, but it's also recorded here in Psalm 132 verse 8 to 10. 
It says this, Arise, O Lord, into your rest, you and the ark of, stre- of your strength. Let your priests be clothed in righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, turn not away the face of your anointed. So that's what Solomon said here. You can see that in Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 41 of the dedication of the temple. Then he mentions the promise. Then this, this verse, the next verse, mentions this same promise that God established to David back in 2 Samuel 7. Verse 11. There the Eternal has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of your body will I set upon the throne. It's always going to be the, your, uh, your, your, your children that are going to be upon the throne of David. Uh, this God's throne, really, and God's not going to turn from it. This is another reference to this promise, this promise of God. Let's go over now to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah would be confronted by this promise. If, you, if you're worried um, that uh, you can read the Bible as we're reading through right now, and that it's difficult for you to see how God has fulfilled this promise. Don't worry, you're not in horrible company. Jeremiah the prophet was in the same situation you're in right now. He knew God's promise. He knew God's promise, but he found it difficult to believe it because of what he could see. And you'll see what I'm talking about as we proceed here. But this is Jeremiah chapter 33. And this is the promise in verse 17. For thus says the Eternal... David shall never want a man or lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. He's never going to lack somebody to do that. He's never going to lack someone in, someone to sit upon the throne of Israel. There'll always be somebody doing it. There'll be always somebody sitting on that throne. Notice we can go down to verse 20 here. It says, Thus says the Eternal, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant of the night, that there should not be day and night in their season. Then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon the throne and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. And so he is basically confirming this, God is to Jeremiah, that we have, if you can still see the sun, if you can still see the moon, this promise is in effect. The promise that we need a man sitting on a throne and he's going to be a son of David. This promise is still in effect according to this prophecy here in Jeremiah. Now let's go to one other chapter that refers to this promise as well. And this chapter is is something that is beautiful in so many ways because it does it does talk about the difficulty sometimes on face value at finding this throne or, or figuring out how God is going to work it out to uphold this promise. Because what God is trying to develop in us is total, implicit trust in His Word. And the editor-in-chief of Watch Jerusalem, uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has been bringing this out of late, especially going through this psalm, Psalm chapter 89. And uh, while it does say Ezra the Ethanite, I believe it's so Ethan the Ezraite, sorry, um, at the beginning of this psalm, there's plenty of indication to believe um, that this was written by Jeremiah, especially as you get into the latter portion of it, the latter portion of this chapter. 
But notice the first part of, of this chapter talking about this promise that God made to David. See, whoever wrote this chapter, when they wrote it, they were worried from everything they could see and discern with their own eyes. Uh, they thought that God might have broken this promise. I mean, they understood it was a promise. They didn't try and look at the Bible, look at the previous uh, promises that God had given about this royal throne and say that, well, God mustn't have really meant what he said back then. No, they, they saw it and said, well, God said there should be a, th- a king sitting on a throne, but I can't see a king sitting on a throne. And so what has happened? Notice this promise here. In Psalm 89, we'll just read from verse 1 to 4. It says this, I will sing of the mercies of the eternal forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever and faithfulness shall you establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant, your seed Will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations? There's never a gap in this kingly line. There's always somebody sitting on the throne of David somewhere. Somewhere. Until Shiloh comes. Until the Messiah comes to sit on that very same throne, as it says over in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. There's always going to be somebody sitting on the throne. Now, in case you, yeah, in case it's a bit confusing about what God means there, well, let's read on in this in this chapter. Let's go down to verse twenty-eight. The writer keeps on reiterating this promise. Verse twenty-eight says, "This my mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed will uh, also will I make to endure forever. His throne as the days of heaven." If his children forsake my law, this is talking about the kingly line again. If his children forsake my law and walk not in his judgments, verse 31. If they break my statutes and keep my, not my commandments, like Saul, verse 32. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But, verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break. I'm not going to break it. Nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips, God says, even if their sons are unrighteous, even if they go into captivity. There's still going to be a king on a throne. That's the promise I made to David. Verse 35, Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie. Unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, and it shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness of heaven. And so God says here that it is in effect. It's like a sign, like the sun that comes up every day. If God's true to his word, the sun's still in the sky at, at night, uh, in the middle of the day, and the moon there at night, then you know that this promise is still active. It's daytime here in Jerusalem. The sun's out. That means this promise is still active. And we can know if we believe what God says without our inter- interpretation here, that there is a man sitting on the throne today. If you believe in the promises in Second Samuel 7, 
in Jeremiah 33, Psalm 132, Psalm 89, as as we've read just here, then you'll have to believe that there is a king sitting on a throne up to this day, and it's always been that way. That even when uh, Judah was taken into captivity and King uh, Zedekiah was, was, was killed, that the throne continued. There was a throne that was continuing over Israel somewhere. Somewhere. That's what this prophecy is saying. Now, there's some, obviously, that believe um, uh, that the king, that Zedekiah, wasn't a rightful king because he was set up set up by the Babylonians, and so many don't count him as the last king. Many count uh, Jehoiakim as the last king, or Jeconiah, who went into Babylonian captivity when he was 18 years of age. Um, that's that's kind of uh, whatever the case, whether you believe Zedekiah was the last king or Jehoiakim was the last king. Both of those schools of thought believe that there was a last king, and indeed there was a last king over Judah. But that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that the kingly line stopped and stopped to the point that some they weren't ruling on a throne. Now, this isn't something that's easy to believe. Um, uh, whether or not you believe it, the writer here of Psalm chapter 89 believed it. He believed that it meant a real king sitting on a throne. He did not mean it meant some ethereal thing. He did not mean it meant you know there would be somebody alive that could sit on the throne if there was a throne. No, he actually saw that God's prophecy or promises meant that an actual king would sit on a throne. And when Jerusalem was being destroyed, all the king's sons were being killed. The prophet Jeremiah was wondering what happened to God's promise. This writer of Psalm 89 had a very difficult time believing God's promises. It was actually a crisis of faith, because he couldn't see how it could happen. All the king's sons were being being put to death, but how could God therefore fulfill this promise? Notice this, verse 38, but you have, a, you have cast off and abhorred. You've been angry with your anointed. You have made void the covenant of your servant. God, you've, you've voided it. I, I, all those prophecies um, that were given before, promises that were given before, they, they're not, they can't come true. I can't see how you can fulfill your promise to David. You've broken your promise to David. This is a faith crisis here of Jeremiah in Psalm 89 because God was actually doing something that Jeremiah did not even consider possible. Jeremiah didn't even consider it. As far as he could see, with his eyes, God's promise to David looked like it had failed. God was teaching him through this whole trial that it doesn't matter what you see, Jeremiah. It doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. My promises uh, will come true. My word is sure. I will fulfill that which I've said, even if you can't see how even if you can't see how I will accomplish it. And that's what this article here is all about. God's promised, uh, God promised David an everlasting throne. What happened to it? See, if you're worried that you can't find the, the throne of David, or you're worried that God has broken his promise, you are like uh, Jeremiah right here in the middle of this psalm, or even towards the end of this psalm. But the thing is, Jeremiah 
actually learned in time that God's word was true, that though he didn't understand it when he authored this psalm, that God was going to provide a way of preserving the throne. And that's what this article, as I said, is is all about. You'll notice that Jeremiah's com- commission is recorded in Jeremiah chapter 1, the very first chapter, and in verses 9 to 10, it goes through part of this commission. It says this, I have, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, Jeremiah was used by God in his 40-year, I believe it was, 40-year message, uh, time of, of preaching and prophesying to the nation, starting in Josiah's rule. Uh, all the way to the time that Zedekiah was taken into captivity, uh, he see all he saw all the last the last five kings there, including Josiah, come and go, come and go, and he's worried at this point that you know with all those kings gone, how is this throne of God going to continue? But we notice something as we go through the book of Jeremiah um, that he was going to get to build and plant the throne elsewhere. And Jeremiah obviously understood that, but he didn't know how he could do it with all the sons of the kings having disappeared. Now, after the, the last or the, the, the big destruction of Jerusalem, there was a lot of people taken captive, including Zedekiah and his sons. A lot of them were killed. Um, Jeremiah was left there with a remnant in the area of, of Judah. And we are, in the last few chapters of Jeremiah, we're brought into and introduced to a number of the people that were with Jeremiah. And notice there was a strange mention of some royalty that was with Jeremiah. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 41 and verse 10. We're just breaking into the thought here. It says this, Then Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that were in Mizpah. This Ishmael was another Jew that had just uh, killed the governor, Gedaliah, that the, 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 the uh, Babylonians set in control of this small remnant of which Jeremiah uh, was, was one, of the mem- one of the members of that remnant. He said, again, this is Jeremiah 41 verse 10. Then Ishmael carried away the captive all the residue of the people that were in Mizpah even the king's daughters and all the people that remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard from Babylon, had committed to Gedaliah and carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. So we have this interesting mention here in Jeremiah chapter 41 and verse 10 that there are king's daughters. King's daughters in this, in this, um, in this remnant group. Now, King Zedekiah died in prison in Babylon. All his sons had been killed before his eyes. All the nobles of, of, uh, of Judah had been killed. All the possible heirs of Zedekiah to David's throne had been killed, except these king's daughters. Now, it is right that Jeconiah or Jehoiakim um, was in Babylon. His sons were there. But Jeremiah prophesied to Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, that was Jeremiah's, uh, Jehoiakim's, Jehoiakim's father, Jeremiah prophesied to him when he burnt the scroll of the book that was written, I believe, in Jeremiah chapter 36. Because you burnt that warning message, Jehoiakim, you're not going to be the, the person that this throne goes through anymore. You're going to be cut off, God told uh, Jehoiakim. And his sons are not going to be on that throne. And so they are discounted. So even though there is royal blood of Jehoiakim's line in Babylon, 
of which Zerubbabel actually was part of that royal line. He would return. He would not be king. The promise does not go through that line. God said it will not go through that line. And so it did continue through Zedekiah's line. But all you had were these king's daughters. But notice that they're always part of this story. They stay with the history. Jeremiah talks about them um, repeatedly. Now, soon um, there was this man, Johanan, that replaced Ishmael as the leader of this group. And in fear of reprisals from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, he uh, appealed to God's prophet. And this is what he said to Jeremiah. He said, uh, Lat, we beseech you, our supplication be accepted before you and pray us unto the eternal your God, that the eternal your God may show us the way wherein we may walk. Tell us where we should go, Jeremiah. Tell us what God wants us to do. Now, the word of God did come to Jeremiah, or, and uh, he explained to them not to fear God was going to protect them, but don't flee into Egypt. Don't go into Egypt. If they did, the sword of Nebuchadnezzar, which they feared, was going to come to Egypt and also overtake them there, as it did them in Jeremiah. But as Johanan did, and as people usually do, um, they, he rejected God's warning from Jeremiah, and he took all the remnants of Judah— And now we'll read Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 5 to 7. And this is what it says. All the men of remnant of Judah, even men and women and children and the king's daughters and Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch the son of Neriah, who was Jeremiah's scribe, they came into the land of Egypt. And so you have an entourage of Jews, the king's daughters, the royal seed, Jeremiah the prophet, Baruch, all going down into Egypt. And they came and took refuge and residence in Taphanes. Um, This is a city uh, in the northeast of uh, of Egypt. And this city is well-known, is a well-known ancient Egyptian city. The Arabs actually call it Qasar bint al-Yahudi, the castle of the Jews' daughter. That's what the Arabs call it to this day. And there have been artifacts that have been discovered at that site from the very time of Jeremiah, Baruch, and Zedekiah's daughters. And so we know that they traveled down there. And upon reaching Egypt, God warned the Jews again through Jeremiah that they were going to not escape uh, the sword and famine. But for a few, there shall be a small number that's going to escape and return out of the land of Egypt into the land of Judah. And so... Notice this. Why is why is this included in the Bible? Why is this uh, the fact that the king's daughters are always referenced here with this remnant, and the fact that a remnant is going to go back to Judah, and the fact that we know that Jeremiah is going to build and plant the throne elsewhere? We know that from his original commission. All these factors should point us to to, to see that God was doing something dramatic here. God was actually going to take the royal line of David, and he was going to use the king's daughters to be the bloodline to continue it. Now, no wonder, no wonder Jeremiah in Psalm 89 was distraught. I mean, this had never happened before. God was doing something dramatic and amazing, and Jeremiah couldn't see how God would do it. All the sons were put to death. How can there be a man that sits on the throne? And God eventually tells Jeremiah and shows Jeremiah that I'm going to pass it through the daughters. And so that's part of the reason here for Psalm 89. Jeremiah didn't just trust God that he was going to do it the way he wanted to do it. And 
sometimes that is the way it is. We just have to believe God, believe what He says, believe that His promises are sure. We don't have to interpret them away. We just have to believe God. And when Jeremiah actually did that fully, completely, he recognized, hey, I have the king's daughters with me. And I know that we are going to build and plant somewhere. And there's other prophecies that were written at this exact time that indicate that it was going to come through the daughters as well. There's a really awesome prophecy over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 17, that refers to how um, during Zedekiah's time, he would be taken into captivity, but God was still going to plant the throne elsewhere, and he was going to use a tender branch to plant the throne, and this throne was going to be planted in Israel. Judah was gone. Israel, of course, the northern tribes had gone into captivity years before, but they were settling elsewhere, elsewhere on the planet. And God was going to take this Jewish line through Zedekiah and the daughters, this tender one, and plant that Jewish line in Israel, in Israel, in the nations of Israel, in a nation of Israel. Now, all, we've gone through this before, but all the Israel are not the Jews. The, the Jews in the southern kingdom, of, or the people in the southern kingdom of Judah were known as Jews. They were the tribes of Levi, Judah, and Benjamin. And, and they weren't Israel. Israel went to captivity with the Assyrians, and they were dispersed into northwestern Europe. They migrated with the Assyrians towards northwestern Europe. And in one of those nations is where God was going to plant or set this young tender one, and she was going to marry into a royal line of Israel. And thus the throne of David would be preserved. The royal line of David would be preserved. And Jeremiah had uh, a huge part in ensuring that would happen. He was allowed to be a part of that overturn. He was allowed to be a part of that moving of the throne to a different country, to a different tribe. Yes, but you say, well, it could only tribal uh, tribal inheritance can be only passed on through the man. It can't be passed on through the woman. Well, in this case, it was. <laughs> well, in this case, it was. That's what the Bible says. And that's why, again, Jeremiah was so distraught because he didn't think it could happen. But God told him, yes, that can happen. And for that instance, all the other sons, all the other uncles that where this throne was eligible to pass through had died. They had died already, and so you were left with the daughters. And that's how God preserved his royal line, his, his royal, he preserved this promise to David in something that was extremely difficult for Jeremiah to even conceive of. But that's how he did it, and I can't go through it all today. You can read this article, it'll be a great uh, starting point for you into this study and simply just believe what God says in his Bible and then leave the details for God to, to figure out how to do it. The article is entitled, God Promised David an Everlasting Throne. What happened to it? Most of it actually is directly quoting a book entitled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Uh, that was written by Herbert W. Armstrong. It's been read uh, by or requested by over 6 million people. And you should be one of those people, especially if you believe in the accuracy of the Bible, especially if you believe in God's promises. God made these promises clear. 
but has he fulfilled them? Don't spiritualize this promise away. It's real, it's living. Again, the sun's still out every day and the moon comes out in the evening. So please go ahead and request this booklet. It's free at watchjerusalem.co.il. It's entitled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening in. Please do send some feedback. You can do that by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Have a good week.